Hey, open your Bible to the second chapter of Ephesians. There's an outline in your bulletin. We move into week three of our Believe series. And, all right, we can rejoice in Luan's baptism. If I were to ask Luan or you, are you saved, what would you say? Have you ever been asked that? I wouldn't recommend that as a form of evangelism, to go up and ask people, are you saved? Because an unbeliever wouldn't know what you're talking about. Saved from what, you know? I didn't know I was lost. There's a lot of confusion in our culture about salvation. and Biblical salvation, there's no clue. Because uh, we're so far from the Christian base that used to once be the foundation of this country. In fact, one of our presidential candidates was recently asked, uh, have you ever asked God for forgiveness? He paused and he said, no, I never have. I've never really felt the need for forgiveness. Now, for over 200 years, that would have stunned the citizenry of this country. And that got have been out. But today it's not even newsworthy because we live in a self-absorbed culture where people think, you know, I can live my own life and don't answer to anyone and it's just about me. We've become our own gods. There's a lot of confusion in our culture, but there's a lot of confusion in the church too, I really believe. And that's why this Believe series is so important. The first week... We began with, I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then last week, I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Now we're getting more specific. And this week, our key belief is reflected right there, and I'd like to have us read it together under salvation. Go. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you may not quite believe that yet. Maybe you're not sure what the Bible means when it says that. That's what I want to talk about this morning. But you see how they're related. This true God who is involved in our daily lives and cares about us has reached out to us in the person of Jesus Christ, extending his grace to us. I believe, though, even in the church, many of us have accepted a reduced version of salvation. It's, it's like, okay, salvation is fire insurance. It's so I don't go to hell. It's so I can get my ticket punched and I go to heaven when I die. Well, will you if you're saved? Yes. You go to heaven when you die, but that's just part of what salvation means. That's settling for salvation light. And, and the problem is... Salvation light produces lightweight followers of Christ. If we don't understand the full-orbed meaning of salvation, we will fail to live out the lives that we have been saved to live here and now. And so I want to consider four ramifications of salvation light, and they're reflected in this outline in your bulletin. Here's the first. A shallow understanding of salvation trivializes our plight while a biblical view 
uh, pronounces our hopeless condition. The Apostle Paul addressed this in Ephesians 2. It's in so many other places in the New Testament, but this is kind of my default passage. I've preached on this before when it comes to laying out the concept of salvation. He does it in Romans as well, does it in Titus, but let's go to Ephesians 2 where Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul says, all of us at one time lived like that. We followed our own desires. It was all about us, and we didn't even know it. But we were following the prince of the power of the air, the evil one himself. He was orchestrating all that. And we were, by nature, naturally, children destined for God's wrath. That's destruction. That's hell. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that was lost. And he, he warned again and again about hell. That eternal separation from God. He, he didn't mince words about that, nor did the Apostle Paul, nor did the early church, and that's what gripped the hearts of lost people and brought them into a condition where they said they wanted more than anything else to be saved, to escape the plight that their sin had put them in. This last uh, Tuesday, we had a staff planning retreat and uh, we listened to Bill Hybels from Willow Creek uh, teach about um, some things. And in that message, he's very passionate about evangelism, always has been. And he said he's concerned that the church today has given up on evangelism. The culture no longer believes in hell, and so the church seems not to believe so much in hell anymore. So what we've done is gravitated toward ministries of compassion, caring for the physical needs of people without warning them and helping them to find salvation in Jesus Christ. And while compassion ministries are good, the reason we do that is so we have the opportunity to share the message of life with people. Jesus not only spoke about it, Paul not only declared about it, Paul said, my prayer and my heart's desire is for my people to be saved. Jerry Lee Lewis was called the first wild man of rock and roll music. Good golly, Miss Molly. Uh, that's a, one of the songs that he was famous for. Great Balls of Fire. Some of you remember that one. And uh, he has led a wild life. He was married seven times. Once shot his bass player in the chest. He's been involved in one controversy after another, but now he's 80 years old. And he was recently interviewed, and uh, he says he's concerned. He had God-fearing southern roots, but he said it makes him wonder about Judgment Day, the way he's lived his life. He said, I was always worried whether I was going to heaven or hell. I still am. I worry about it before I go to bed. It's a very serious situation. 
I mean, you worry. When you breathe your last breath, where are you going to go? It's a good question. I'm glad he's thinking about it because if he hears the good news, if he returns to the good news of Jesus and grabs hold of Jesus, he won't need to wonder anymore. And how about you? Are you saved? Do you know that you've been delivered from hell and the sentence of separation from Christ throughout all eternity? If not, it ought to grip our hearts with the realization of the, of the plight that we are in, the desperate predicament we find ourselves in. And we ought to more than make it our greatest priority to find a relationship with God, which is what salvation is all about. And it ought to grip our hearts about friends and family members and those that we live among who don't know Christ, that there's a real hell, there's a plight, there's danger, and that salvation can rescue them from that. Shallow in understanding of salvation will never do that. Secondly, a shallow understanding of salvation cheapens its worth. While a biblical view portrays the incalculable price Christ paid to secure it. Paul talks about the de desperate plight that we're in, and then he says this in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There's so much packed in that verse. It's, it's God's mercy that was motivated by his love for us. We got to get wrap our minds around that. He really does love us. He knows all about us and he loves us and reached out to us because of his mercy and extended grace to us. Grace means we didn't deserve it, but he offers it to us anyway because of his great love. And how could we ever cheapen that by our devaluing the concept the gift of salvation and the one who won it for us. I bet every one of us was shocked this past Thursday when we, we heard about the shooting at Umpqua Community College and, and the shooter who, who killed nine people and nine others we eventually found had been wounded in that massacre. And then I was watching the news that night and some, of the, some in the media were frustrated because they weren't revealing the name of the shooter. And then the sheriff came on, had a press conference, and said, you'll never hear me mention his name. I'll never give him the notoriety that he sought. And I was like, good for you. But there was a name that emerged from this. His name was Chris Mintz. Some of you may have heard about him. Uh, he's been tr trending on social media. In fact, it's been going viral. Uh, he was a student in one of those classrooms. He's an Army veteran. And he heard the shooting, he knew exactly what that sound was about, and he calmed his fellow students down, and he went to the door, he opened it, and there's the shooter right there. And he tries to calm him down and talk to him, and uh, the shooter shot him three times right there. And so he's lying there, and he said to the shooter, this is my son's birthday, please don't do this. And he shot him four more times right there. And he lived. In fact, uh, here he is in the hospital, and he's in stable condition, and uh, there was a person on uh, social media that said, I don't know the name of the shooter, 
but I'll never forget the name of Chris Mintz. Do you think that the students who were in that classroom will ever forget his name? No way. They know that many of them owe their lives to this guy because he was willing to lay down his life for them. And I'm thinking, wow, that's fantastic. He, he is a hero in that regard. But Jesus came into a world that would hate him, reject him, mock him, ridicule him, spit upon him, crucify him, and he would undergo separation from his father whom he'd been with through all of eternity because he loved us and wanted to save us, not just physically, but for all of eternity. How could we ever, with a light view of salvation, cheapen what Jesus has done for us? It's unthinkable. It's so powerfully expressed in this most common of all Bible verses that we sometimes gloss over it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world, every person in it, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The Apostle Peter said that we have been redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, the blood of Jesus. We can't diminish that with a light view of salvation. It cost him everything to give us this gift, the gift of God's mercy and grace. Third, a shallow understanding of salvation deprives us of its benefits. While a biblical view enriches our lives with immeasurable spiritual riches. So we've been given this precious gift, by grace you've been saved, he says in verse 6, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That, that's presently, by the way. That's not going to heaven someday. Right now we've been raised up and seated with Christ. That's our position in Christ. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Yes, when we go to heaven, it's going to be unbelievable. The vistas that he opens to us, what we're able to see and experience and participate in, that's the surpassing riches of his grace. But don't overlook right now. Because he saved us in the here and now so that we might make a difference where we are. Because of our position in Christ, we are now not just forgiven, not just given a ticket to heaven. We've been given a position so that we can reign in life. We've been called sons and daughters of God. We're in the family of God. We've been commissioned, every one of us, as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Wherever we go, we represent the king and the good news from heaven. And that is the position that we now occupy. That's included in salvation. So every day, every opportunity is part of our salvation that we're experiencing as we are serving the king. Paul said we are justified, we're declared innocent. We now have access to God, every one of us, as believer priests. 
We don't have to go to a priest. We, we are priests, according to the Apostle Peter in the New Testament. We can pray for people. We can go into God's presence on behalf of people. And we can bless people in the name of Jesus. Forgiveness, Tim Keller points out, is kind of a negative. It's like it's like uh, what we're not being held accountable for. And we're forgiven. That's part of salvation. But that's not all of it. There's infinitely more. When we've been justified, we've been declared innocent and given that position. Forgiveness is kind of like being let out of jail, okay? You're not going to be held responsible for those sins anymore, but you're always looking over your shoulder, wondering if you might be rearrested. Forgiveness is, is somebody saying, you may go. Salvation says, you may come. You may come into the presence of the Father and you belong to the family of God. I read that uh, the Washington Post recently talked about how hard it is to get into some settings in D.C. The party scene is big there. But if you're not a movie star, if you're not a celebrity, if you're not on that person's list, forget it. You're not going to get into those hottest parties in D.C. There's also the Kennedy Theater where people in the performing arts are celebrated and honored for their lifetime achievements. But, uh, wow, you've got to be well-connected, and only 300 members of the public get into those Kennedy Center events. So if you don't know that person, you're not going to be invited. And it's said that invitations to the White House are nearly impossible, but it's even harder to get invited to state dinners there. That, uh, that honor people from another country, the head of state of another country. Unless you own a business in that country, unless you are so well connected to the head of that state, the president and first lady, they have the final say on who gets invited. So you're probably not going to get invited to one of those dinners. If you do, let me know. I'd love to meet you, and that'd be exciting, okay? But think about it. We can't get into those places, but God says, come on in through Jesus you have access. It's more than we could ever hope for or think about or imagine in our sinful state. But no, we're forgiven. We're justified. We're invited in. I don't think it's ever more beautifully expressed than in the story that Jesus told, the one we call the prodigal son. You, you remember this story? The father had the two sons, and uh, the younger son was discontent. And he wanted to go live for himself. And he asked his father, hey, I want half of your inheritance now before you die. What a really insult to the father. But the father gave him half the inheritance. And off he went. And he blew it all in wild living in another country. And pretty soon, I got some pictures here, he found himself working for a farmer feeding pigs. And uh, he was hungry. And he found himself eating the slop that he was given to those pigs. And it says he finally came to his senses and realized, the servants in my father's house have it much better than I. They eat every day. And so he got up and he decided, I'm going home. And I'm going to tell my father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Please, could I be one of your servants and... and uh, be a part of just being here and, and eating. And so he goes and he's heading home and his father sees him from a distance, means he's been looking for him. 
praying for him. And then uncharacteristically in this culture, he runs to his son, throws his arms around him, embraces him, and rejoices that his son has returned. He calls his servants and he said, put a ring on this boy's finger, the family signet. Put a robe on him. Put sandals on his feet. And while you're at it, slaughter that fattened calf because we're going to party because my son who was lost has now been found. Wow, it was exciting. And they were gearing up for the party and the older brother is out in the field and he hears all the music and he comes out and side and meets his dad and says, what is this all about? After he had come through, his son has come through this and the older brother says, what is going on here? His dad says, your son, your brother who was dead is now alive. He said, you never threw a party for me. You never did any of this for me. How come you're doing this? You're killing the fattened calf and the father just can't understand he said, but, but your brother, come on, he's back now. And he said, you could have had a party anytime. You could have had your friends over anytime. We'd have celebrated you. I've loved you through the years, but can't you see what's happened here? And I thought, wow, what a powerful picture. That older brother represents people that go to church. They're saved. They go to church faithfully. They give of their money and their time but they're not happy. They're not enjoying it. It's a drudgery. It's a duty. But, but, but people that come to Christ and sometimes out of really bad sinful backgrounds, wow, they're thrilled with the forgiveness they've received in Jesus Christ. And they're enjoying the grace of God that is available to every one of us. And some of us that have no joy in our relationship with Christ need to revisit our real state and need for salvation and experience in our own hearts salvation, the grace of God that would accept a, a, a sinner like myself. This is the joy that we have when we understand the real price of salvation and the benefits and blessings of it. Salvation light will never give that to us, folks true view of salvation will understand that not only do we rejoice in the grace and salvation we've received but we thank God for every person who comes to receive that same salvation and then finally a shallow understanding of salvation nullifies our good works while a biblical view exhibits them as expressions of gratitude not pathetic attempts to earn God's favor This is where we come to one of the most powerful verses, a couple of verses in the New Testament. And this is our memory verse for this week. I really encourage you to memorize these verses and just put them in your heart. In fact, can we read uh, this next verse together? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If we could earn it, we could brag about it. But salvation is a gift. And how much do you pay for a gift? You don't, do you? You receive it. Somebody had to buy it, right? Jesus purchased it on the cross. And it's offered to us 
by God's grace which brought him into the world and by our faith that unites with God's grace. We do nothing to earn it. We receive it by our faith. And that's why it's called grace, undeserved, God's favor. But there's something within every one of us, it's in human nature, that wants to earn what we have. And that's a good thing in some respects, but not in this regard. But the world over, every religion, has some way in which you must work to earn favor with God or whatever it is you're hoping to get. In Eastern religions, you have to uh, seek enlightenment through many different practices and chanting and meditation if you want to ultimately experience nirvana. In Hinduism, there are 300 million gods that you have to appease and, and a whole ceremony that happens every four years where if you go to one of four rivers that uh, are confluent in India, um, there's a legend about demons and gods who had a war and nectar spilled into those river, rivers, four drops. You can get your sins forgiven if you make that pilgrimage. In Islam... If you pray five times a day in a ritual prayer, if you make a pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in your life, if you fast during Ramadan, all these practices uh, you need to engage in to appease in Allah. Christianity is the only religion to that point in the first century and since that has said, oh no, salvation's free. It's a gift. But you've got to believe. You've got to believe what God has offered to you in the person of Jesus Christ through the cross and the empty tomb because he conquered death and offers life to those who put their faith in Christ. We can't earn it because we could never meet God's standard of holiness. It's possible. Jesus did. He alone satisfied the demands of God's law and then offered himself as a substitute for us who would believe, giving his life for ours. This last week, uh, Dee mentioned something about sweeping the kitchen floor. It's not very big in our condo. I said, I can do that. I knew her arm was kind of hurting, and, uh, and I said, hey, I'll sweep the kitchen floor. And she said, okay. So I go out there, and I'm sweeping her away, and she comes through the kitchen and says, oh, you missed some over there. I said, oh, Okay. So I go over there, and she said, oh, and then over there, too. And I said, okay, you know, and I'm sweeping there. And then she said, I'm not sure you have the same standard of cleanliness that I do. <laughs> now, Dee's real gracious, but I thought, wow, if I can't even meet her standard, how in the world could I hope to meet <laughs> God's standard, right? You might be able to please Dee, but you can't please God with your good works enough to earn you salvation. You can go to church seven days a week, give everything you have. It isn't going to earn God's salvation. You'll still be a sinner. We need a Savior who brought salvation. So if we're saved by grace through faith, and it's a gift, is there a place for good works? Absolutely. Paul goes on in verse 10 and says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 
So the good works are an opportunity to express our gratitude to God for our salvation. And every time we choose to do a good work, something that is right, something that blesses others, something for Christ or his kingdom or the people around us, we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. Not to get saved, but to express our appreciation for salvation. In fact, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So the good works don't point to us and how deserving we are. They point to Jesus and say how good he is for saving us. So salvation, much more than a ticket that is punched to get us into heaven, it's an opportunity to live for him now, knowing, oh yes, we'll spend eternity with him because now, we have been given a relationship with God. But I want to mention this about salvation. I think it's kind of important. Salvation isn't just a point. It's actually a process. Because the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word for salvation is sozo. And sozo is in the New Testament 110 times. 93 times it means right relationship with God. The other times have to do with healing, wholeness, okay? A lot of times Jesus used that word uh, to a sick person. Your faith has saved you. There's a wholeness externally and internally that's built into that. So here's the deal. Salvation is present tense. It's continuing action. So we can say it's past, present, and future. Are you saved? Yes, I have been saved from the penalty of sin, when I put my faith in Christ. No, I won't go to hell. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I have been saved. That's past tense. But the present tense, I am being saved from the power of sin. As day by day, I trust Christ to heal me within, to change me, to give me victory over sin in my life. I'm being saved. That's an ongoing action. And I will be saved from the presence of sin one day when I step into the presence of the Lord salvation is holistic and every one of us needs it and if you're not saved initially today should be the day that you embrace salvation the gift that you receive it and just open your heart to Jesus believe that Christ died on that cross for your sin choose to open your heart to him Ask him to be your savior. That's the beginning point. For the rest of us, well, we say, today, I want to embrace the full scope of your salvation to be the son, to be the daughter of God that you've called me to be, to be a, the ambassador so that I can make a difference with my life. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the gift you're the giver. We love you, we worship you, and we will through all of eternity. We pray this in your name. Amen.